Our scripture lesson for today comes from Philippians chapter 1. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you. I always pray with joy because of, our, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Well, good morning, church, and good morning to those welcoming you online and those that will watch this later. Hello to you. I just want to, first of all, uh, thank Angela for singing that song. That's one of my favorite songs. I love that song. I love the words to it, and it uh, always brightens my day. And of course, uh, to hear it sung uh, by you is fantastic as well. Uh, do want to just offer our, our uh, sympathies once again to Terry and her family, and we love you very much, and uh, we offer our prayers to you here in this moment. We love you. Well, I want to tell you a story this morning and start out our sermon here today with a story, a biographical story of a person. Uh, before I do it, let us pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the story I wanted to tell you uh, today is about a man, a Dutch man. He grew up in, or was born, that is, and even grew up in a upper-middle-class family. He started off his early years as an art dealer, which eventually changed into uh, other things. He grew up, he kind of grew depressed and moved somewhere he didn't necessarily want to through that job and ended up just finding himself in a very depressed state. And so he turned to religion. He actually became a missionary uh, to a remote town and province uh, in Belgium. And I'm not going to say this right, but I practiced it, so here we go. Here's my one shot, see if I can get it right. Borinage. Now, those in Belgium, if you're watching this, you can text me in and let me know. Send me in if I got it right or not. I, I got it on Google and I heard, you know, I listened to it like 20 times and I knew I'd mess it up still. So, uh, anyways, but Borinage, and again, I don't know the true connect, correct way of saying that, but that's my best guess, but Belgium. It was a poor mining district, and for many years, even the Middle Ages, had been known for coal. And so you can imagine this poor mining town or province in Belgium where this man was seeking to find not only peace but meaning, and through religion he became a missionary. And by all accounts, if the stories are true, he was a missionary and much different than many of the clergy people in his day, where the clergy people would be in much nicer places and houses than those they served. He basically lived in poverty like those he served with, lived like them, and had much respect by the people, but... A lot of the authorities didn't have uh, very, didn't like how he was necessarily doing those things. So of course, that all ended in a very bad way and he had to move on with other things in life. He began to find ill health, began to seek out solitude from other people and really started down a path that wasn't good. But in 1886, he moved to Paris where he encountered new thoughts and new ways of expression and new ways of doing art. He was moved by this and started trying his hand again and doing art himself. But he was prone to psychotic episodes. He drank heavily. Even one part where he got a great argument with one of his good friends, he got so caught up in the moment, he pursued his friend with a razor. And while his friend stopped him, he just had this breakdown where he cut off part of his left ear, his own left ear, that is. When he died, many people considered him a madman, a failure. 
and his paintings that he so vividly made and so basically made a whole bunch of them. He was never commercially successful, as far as I could tell, and all the stories of him, he only ever sold one painting in his life. When he died, he was a man of poverty. He was malnourished, overworked. He spent basically all his money on art supplies and cigars. After his life, he took his own life that was with a gunshot to the chest and died two days afterwards. Everyone in this room knows who this is. You may not know the story yet. You may not know that you know who this is. You don't know his story, but you know him. Because later on, after his death, a number of years later, there were other artists that encountered his paintings and started mimicking them. They found great purpose in them, great expression in them, great artwork in them. And so they started mimicking them and creating their own. In fact, his work became appreciated to the degree of today, he's one of the most well-known painters in the history of humankind. His works are some of the most valuable ever sold in the history of humanity. Of course, the man that I'm speaking about is a man named Vincent Van Gogh. Many people have been moved by his paintings, and I know my wife, uh, she, if she's watching, she's a big Van Gogh fan, uh, really loves the Impressionist artwork and uh, Neo-Impressionist artwork, all that stuff, and uh, she was a big fan. And so when we were in Chicago, we went on a vacation not so recently, and well, not, so, not so far, yeah, let me say that. We went on a vacation recently, a couple weeks ago, right? That's what I'm trying to say. And we went to Chicago, and one of the things is, you know, we're looking around what to do in Chicago. Of course, we did the riverboat tour, which if you ever go to Chicago, you have to do the riverboat tour. Thank you, Larry, for telling me to do it, because I did it. It was totally worth it, the architectural tour. You do that if you do one thing. But the other things we did, we you know, went around and just had fun and did whatever, but uh, we got to go see an exhibit. And it was called Immersive Van Gogh. Now, if you haven't heard of this, uh, it's coming to Columbus and other cities as well, all across the United States, and it's coming very soon. If you can get tickets, I highly recommend it. And what I would tell you is this, if you, get, if, if you don't like art, go anyways, because if you go see this and you don't like it, then you truly don't like art and don't spend money ever again to go see something. But if you like art even remotely, you're gonna go and you're gonna say, this is like a whole new art, art form, if you will, and that this is truly honoring Vincent Van Gogh, not only his works, but his life in such a beautiful way that it's really moving. I mean, it really was. And in fact, you can stay there as long as you want and they showed, like the showing actually lasts about 30 minutes. And it's one of these places where, uh, and, and just so you know, there's a couple of Van Gogh exhibits going around. You want this one, you want the immersive Van Gogh. There's another couple names that they tried to play off this, but this is the one that was actually created over in France by people that really truly appreciated the works that was well known over there and they're bringing it around the world to show with other people. But uh, what the idea is this, that you go into a museum gallery and in Chicago, it was, a, it was a smaller museum that had many different rooms and many places. And there's no artwork on any of the walls. It's all flat white. And there's you know, places to sit and circles to sit in on the floor or benches and stuff like that. And they got kind of like these big pillar mirror things that reflect all the different walls and everything where you go. And when you go in, there's nothing. But when the show starts, it all goes dark. And then they and project with projectors all across the white space, the floor, the ceiling, everything around you including all the little nooks and crannies of all you can imagine Chicago old historic building with all those beautiful architectural designs that they have on it, all across everywhere, just spread out. And when they do this, it's not just like the picture, right? They, there's movement in it. 
and the, and the people who put this together even like mimic the art strokes of Van Gogh painting. It's just so, so like there's parts of it where stuff's moving and coming to life and zeroing on different parts of things and coming, there's pieces coming and going and the music that they put together matches so perfectly the, the paintings of the exact part when you're there. It was one of these things you get back and you just go at the end, you're just like, wow. Like you want to clap, but you can't even, you're almost like clapping just doesn't do it justice, right? I mean, it was one of these really moving moments and Kelly and I, you know, we watched it once in one room and we were like, oh, we got to go see this again. So we, we stayed around, went over to another room and watched it again. And, you know, at that point I was out with the video camera, taking all, you know, like getting my cell phone camera, getting as many pictures as I could. Uh, and so again, if it comes to Columbus, when it comes to Columbus, get tickets. As your pastor, I tell you, you'll be a better human for it. But it was totally amazing, that experience. And it was one of those moments where you're just like, wow, this really was like, I appreciate his artwork in such a, a better way than I'd ever had before. But there was also this kind of feeling with me through it. And honestly, probably of all the emotions and all the ways of expression that I felt, the pr predominant one by far was sadness. Not just because of the moment of some of his work kind of evoked that passion and that, that, that emotion, but thinking about his life and thinking about the moment that I was in. That on another continent, you know, hundreds of years later, known as one of the best artists to ever exist by humankind, totally changed art as we know it in the history of books from that point on. And sitting in a room watching many of his different paintings and works of art just being plastered across and doing different things and trying to honor him in the best way possible of even doing the brush strokes and things like that and painting it in front of you and doing the swirlies of the starry night and all the beautiful stars twinkling and even some of the self-portraits that he had and doing it in such a way that really told his own biography. And then going to the gift shop seeing all the people just love the works and need it on coffee mugs and t-shirts and hats and keychains and books, you know, about his life and his art that were, you know, this thick, right? That I picked one book up just to look at it and it was like, uh, it was like, oh, oh, right? <laughs> and it opened it up and it was just like page after page. And, you know, some of his works, you know, honestly, everybody has works. You're kind of like, yeah, it doesn't really speak to me. And, you know, seeing just people that appreciated it so much, they wrote just pages about a couple stick figures, right? <laughs> on, a, on, a, on a sheet of artwork about his works and, and his life and just his expression. And thinking through the idea that in his life he knew none of it. And had no inkling that one day he would even be appreciated. Had no inkling that he would ever sell more than one painting of his life. And to me it just felt like that travesty, like what, what human travesty and, and just sorrow in that moment of a life that was so tormented in so many ways and, and prone to self-destruction in so many ways, but yet pulled out such beautiful ways of expressing the world and seeing the world and seeing the world differently than we had seen it before. And you know, all these years later, people after people flooding this museum. And it's coming not only to Columbus, I, you know, it's coming to every city in America, basically big city or mid-sized city in America very soon, where they're gonna take this on the, on the road, if you will, and, and project it and do it in different spaces. So everywhere you go, it's gonna be a different experience. But to see all that, and to think his story just never was completed in his lifetime. And that travesty of it, right? how I wish, like, if I could go resurrect somebody, you know, like, that I wish they could know how their life turned out, like, he would be on, on that list. He'd be on my top ten list of people, right, of people I just wish I could even just go a time machine and just show them a picture, right, of my experience 
in Chicago and say, this is the impact you will have. I know it seems rough, but just, you will influence so many people and bring such beauty to their life. I just want you to know about it, right? And as a father, you know, I think about my kids and kind of started thinking about that idea of, you know, I just want their stories. You know, I want to live long enough to see their stories come to completion, right? You know, and then just think about, you know, how much you care for your kids and, uh, you know, how much, you know, I'd hate to something happen or accident happen where I wouldn't see that come to fruition to where I would miss out on that. And I began to think of, you know, this idea, right? That in some way, I bet God feels that same way with us. He's looking at each of us and all the struggles we go through, all the trials we go through, all the heartache we go through. And he's looking at the end because he knows the completed story. And he sees it in that hundreds of years after our lives pass away kind of fashion of those influences we had, those friendships we've had, the ways we loved one another, the ways we even sacrificed for each other and others, the ways we even served those that were our enemies, the ways that we did all this, that God looks at that and knows the end result of how it pans out, looks back on our life and knows that. But even more so, that he's actively working in your life and in my life, here and now, to bring it to completion. And then no matter what experience we go through, no matter what hardship we go through, no matter what comes our way, that God can use that to bring us further to completion. When you think about the promises that are in Scripture, there are so many good ones, right? But if you think about a lot of them, you, you got to take them also with the other side of what's also promised in Scripture in the story of Scripture. For instance, you know, we are promised joy, but we're not promised joy all the time. And in fact, Jesus very plainly says in different ways that your joy is not always going to be there and your joy will be complete with me, but it will not necessarily always be just this life is wonderful. Let's just row your boat down the stream and have a great old merry time. That there's going to be sorrow come our way. There's going to be hurt come our way. That blessed are those who mourn. The Bible promises that when we follow God, we experience abundance and a blessing, but we're also promised trial and tribulation. The Bible promises us that we have protection and divine protection by the Lord that we serve, and he's our shield and our rock and our fortress. But we're also promised to take up our cross and experience that affliction and to follow Jesus. We're promised in some ways self-fulfillment, even though the Bible wouldn't necessarily use that term, but in some ways self-fulfillment, but in other ways we're also promised serving others and pouring ourselves out for the sake of others. We're promised life, but we're also promised the potential of martyrdom. I mean, the Bible holds all these things together with those promises, but there's one promise in the Bible that doesn't really have that other side to it. And as I was really thinking about this, it was really kind of a powerful thing that sort of really kind of hooked me, and especially going to see Van Gogh and his life and experience that kind of really hooked me lately. And I wanted to share with you just kind of this, this understanding that I'm coming to is that there's a promise in the Bible that has no other verses, right? That there's a promise that God's going to do this, and there is no but you're going to experience this over here or this over here or this over here. And that promise is that for those who follow Jesus Christ, who surrender to Christ and follow his ways and seek to do their best, God's going to bring you to completion. 
No if, no ands, no buts. It's going to happen. That God is so concerned with our character and who we are and the work that we are, that he is constantly painting us, you know, on a canvas, if you will, and constantly shifting us and adding to us and changing us and, and transforming us into being more complete than we ever were before. And in fact, our scripture here this morning really kind of points this out in a very cool fashion. The book of Philippians was written, of course, by the Apostle Paul. And if you ever read the book of Philippians, it's, I call it the happy book. If you ever need some happy joy, go read some Philippians because it's, it's just such a heartwarming book in so many ways. And it's a church that's doing things right. And Paul is writing to them and he is just encouraging after encouraging after encouraging of what a church should look like, at least in his day. And it's so powerful that he starts off, he wants to, he says these words, right? I thank God. I just think about this. I thank God every time I remember you. And there's this period there in the statement. Just, I think of you. When I think of you and I pray for you, I just overflow with thanking God for you, right? And thanking God for what he's doing in you. And he goes on to kind of repeat that. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In other words, I just look at your life and I see how God's transforming you and changing you and using you and doing things. And I'm filled with joy. That I not only thank God when I remember you, I'm filled with joy even just praying for you. And then he goes on and he says these words that are so powerful if you think about it. And, I, and he says, you know, from that first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, I thank God when I remember you. God's not done with you. And in fact, God's so not done with you, he's, gonna, he's not going to let you go. You are a prized possession to God, and he is going to continue to work on you, continue to change you, continue to mold you, continue to be with you, continue to help you through trial, continue to let all the events and the effects of life come your way, walk you through it to continue to shape the character of who you are. Because God is in the business of taking us to completion. In other words, it wasn't just that altar call or maybe when you were a kid when you said a prayer or that moment where you said, I'm going to start following Jesus Christ. That wasn't the end of the story. God is not done with you. He is bringing you on what good old Methodists would call to entire sanctification, if you will, which basically means this, God's going to complete you. Right? And you're so prized and so valued, and so loved, that whatever else comes your way, God's not going to stop with that work in you. Now, it's interesting to think of what does completion mean, because of course, you know, what does that mean exactly? You know, we are this prized position, God's working in us. What does completeness really mean? And I wanted to share with you just a couple thoughts to kind of close this section, and that was, completeness doesn't mean that in this life you become complete. When you read Revelation, it talks about how we're given the white robes and the new names and the completeness of who Christ has called us to be. It's that completeness, not only Christ-likeness, but being restored into that image of God fully, not just partially, but fully. And the good old way of understanding what it means to be Christ-likeness, it's not being perfect. You still might spill your milk occasionally, right? But it's being perfect in love. Love defined as the way as Christ loves others that not being perfect, but perfect in love.
This is what God has called each of us to go for, each of us to be. But the simple truth is it's his work in us and his timing in us. So all we all are to do is to trust in him and to look at everything that comes our life and to look at every angle and say, how can I use this? How is God using this to shape my life, to make me more complete, to make me more Christ-like, and to hold on to that promise that God is going to use whatever comes our way to do that, and that God's not going to stop until we're at last complete, like Paul says. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your promises in the Scripture, and there are so many. And God, in so many ways, it's amazing to come to Scripture because you do offer life and joy and peace and security and protection. But God, even more concerned with that in this life, you're more concerned with who you're making us to be for all eternity. And God, once again, you're bringing us to completeness. God, when I think about the vast majority of things that we could go after in this world, that is a beautiful, wonderful thing. So thank you for loving us that much to bring us to that completeness. And Lord, as we come to your table here today, we once again admit that our sin is ever before you. And in so many ways, we fail you. In so many ways, we're not complete. So God, in just these moments, we ask for your forgiveness and bring to you our sins once again as we name them in our hearts to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Church, on the night in which Christ gave himself up for us, he took bread, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you and gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this, all of you. This is the cup of my new covenant. Put out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And so, Lord, in these your mighty acts, and many more that we remember here today, we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to you. And Lord, we pray upon these blessing elements that you may make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that no matter whether we're here in service or at home with whatever we have to use, Lord, that these elements would truly be of you and bring us closer to you. Lord, by your spirit, make us one with each other and one with you, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in heavenly victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Church, the body of Christ, which is broken for you, we do this in remembrance of him. The blood of Christ poured out for you and for many the forgiveness of sins. We drink this in remembrance of him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your love, which has been proven to us once again. Amen.